This is the Ops Authority Podcast, where my mission is to break down the backside of your business so you can take the right actions to grow and scale. Hey, I'm Natalie Gingrich, a small business operations expert, and I'm going to give you a front row seat to real solutions that will help you reach the vision that you have for your business, all while equipping you to put out those inevitable pesky fires and those fears that pop up. Listen in for strategies to grow your team, craft the systems and processes that you need for your business, and establish business foundations that you may have skipped over. I know you're ready to do really big things, so let's do it together. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome back to the Ops Authority Podcast. I'm excited for us to chat today, and I want you to listen in because this is going to be a topic that's going to give you a lot of creative ideas, and it's one that I just can't wait to dig into. Today, we have a very special guest on the podcast, Audrey Joy Kwan, and she is a business strategist and a coach for service entrepreneurs who want to scale a business with a lean team. She has a track record of helping creatives and consultants go from solopreneurs to multiple six and seven figure agencies and getting their time back. Audrey left a full-time career eight years ago working in agencies and client-side operationalizing million-dollar projects. She has a master's degree in communications focused on organizational development. She supported an agency owner to sell and exit his business. And for those who don't want to sell, she's helped triple their revenue as a service-based business. All of that should be music to your ears if you are listening along with us. Those of you guys who are service providers, you know that one of the options that we talk about as you want to scale your business, you know, there's four different ways that we talk about here at the Ops Authority, and one of those is agency. So Audrey is going to be a wealth of knowledge for all of us, but her specialty is in the agency space. So if that is of interest to you, I, of course, want you to check her out. As the creator of the Mighty Pod model, her passion is to show creatives, consultants, and agency owners that they can create a simple and sustainable multiple six figures and beyond business. You can find her at the Small But Mighty Agency Podcast or MightyPodModel.com. Yes, we got through that intro and I loved every single bit because I think we are one and the same. We're operators who have turned our gifts and our skills into a scalable business. And we both are modeling that to the students and the people that we're able to influence. So I'm really excited to have you here today. Me too. Thank you for having me, Natalie. I'm excited to get into it. Yes, yes. So I wanted to talk today about one of the gifts that we both share, but I think you have such a strong message around this, which is rethinking the power of processes as intellectual property and high value assets. So as operators, we are detailed. I'm just thinking of some of the adjectives that people call us or use for us, but you know, very detailed, meticulous, analytical, organized, productive, efficient, you know, finding gaps, all of those things that kind of go along with how we are described. And naturally, when we take all of those adjectives that I just shared and we use them in our professional world, one of the greatest deliverables that we give by combining all of those adjectives is really strong processes, guidance, structure, and it comes back to processes. And most likely you're like me. I have been creating processes for myself, for my peers, for companies, for my family, for 
ever. And I didn't really even know that it was something that was special about me. And when I think of processes, we can jam on this a little bit, but when I think of processes, I think of structure, but I also think of that as being an expression of my creativity, which of course looks a lot different than the creative that you may be thinking of who paints or, you know, decorates rooms or wardrobe fashion or anything like that. But I think of processes as being a creative outlet for me. And oh, so much goodness on processes. So I can't wait to dig into that. But what your gift is and will be for this podcast today is looking at processes as a moneymaker. And, you know, we're going to talk about how strong and powerful that can be. When I think of processes, I think of it as intellectual property. And if you are a operator who is coming into business and looking at how a business operates, you're naturally pulling out the processes for the person you're working with. And those things you pull out have value because they are intellectual property. And intellectual property is created by the human mind. It means that you have a skill set that allows you to go in and look at how things work put it together into a process, which equals an asset. And that asset at first is intangible, right? Because when you're coming in, you're looking at a business, it's not there yet, but you're making it tangible, which makes it intellectual property. When we think of tangible assets, we think of things like an iPhone, right? So an iPhone is a tangible intellectual property. And when we think of processes, It's not physical. You can't touch it. But that doesn't mean that there's no value in it. I am a believer that if you have a service-based business, you have intellectual property, period. It's a matter of productizing the processes. So productizing it means you package the processes up so that other people can deliver for you, which equals a productized service. A productized service is simply how you structure your service delivery into a system so that others can deliver the results for you. And that makes your service tangible. And Natalie, you and I both know that when you do that, there's so much value in that. That is you helping a business owner get everything out of their brain down into a way that other people can do for them, which equals what? A scalable company. Yeah, absolutely. My mind is like fireworks right now because the listeners of this podcast, and you are one of those too. So you probably have heard this along the way too, but I I was in corporate. I exited corporate, created my own business, started doing project management, and then started really serving businesses holistically on the backside, looking, focusing on operations, non-marketing functions. I started to help like organically, Audrey, I organically started helping people to plan and to prioritize projects, et cetera, because as small lean businesses, we can only do so much at one time. Even though our counterparts, our visionary counterparts have lots and lots and lots of ideas, we know that we can't deliver them with excellence if we start tackling 10 at the same time. So what turned into strategic mapping, which is now, that's my intellectual property. It was a process that I started to test and started to expand on. I went deeper on, and then it took one coach, one client, who turned back to me and said, Natalie, this is gold. You should make this a course. (laughs) And there's a lot of funny digs there because I did exactly as she said, being the good student that I am and seeing the market with all these just wealthy course creators. And I thought, man, I was gonna hit the jackpot just like them. That was not the case. But the greatest gift 
in me pretending that I was going to make it off of a course (laughs) was taking the time to get the strategic mapping model or the process that I was using and really realizing that that actually was my intellectual property. I took it for granted. I mean, I probably had delivered this 40 times and it took that one person turning around and saying, this is gold and I want you to expand on this. And I thought, well, how can I do that? And the last statement that you had was exactly where I was. I wanted to scale. Of course, most people want to scale in business. And I thought, this is the ticket. And of course, like I alluded to, the course model was not going to be the answer for me, but the gift was taking a long pause. And Audrey, it took me way longer than expected because I'm a high fact finder and I wanted to not miss one tiny detail. And it literally took me almost a full year to get it to the detail that I wanted. Now, this is a really robust process. So it's not just like, you know, how to upload a podcast because there's, you know, lots of processes can be very small and the size and shape of them are are different. But I took this strategic mapping model, which is my intellectual property, and I downloaded all of it so that I could teach other people how to perform the exact same thing. Of course, you guys know that we have that as one of the very first modules in our director of operations certification program, but that is truly how I started a completely different business model than I ever anticipated. It's because I saw somebody else helped me to see the gold in that intellectual property and then to package it up to productize it. Yeah, I see that with a lot of clients that I work with where they are so close to what they do that they can't step back and pull out the processes that equal their intellectual property. And for you, Natalie, operations is something you naturally do. So when you went into a business, you looked at the business business and was like, okay, yeah, I got it. I know how to do this. Boom, boom, boom. And there you go. The client got results, right? It's so natural to you. And it wasn't until you stepped back and saw that, wow, this is intellectual property. How I do things or support the business owner to do things, those step-by-step, there's value in that because not everyone thinks like that. And I'm so glad that you brought up the words fact finder because you and I were talking about the Kobe and I think different types of entrepreneurs have different types of Kobe's. And I think when you're operationally strong, your fact finding is actually really high. And when your fact finding is high, it's even harder for you to step back and identify your intellectual property because what you're doing is questioning everything that you do as a fact finder. That's what you do. Right? Whereas, so good. Yeah. And when you're an entrepreneur that has high quick start, what happens is you throw out the milestones that you think it takes to do something and off you go, you'll flush out the details later. Right. But fact finders, no, what they're doing is they're thinking, well, great. I kind of know this, but let me gather more information before I launch this into the world. And I feel like that's what you did, which also makes your product amazing because you put all the time and thought into it. Yeah, but it also stalls. Let, let's be real here. It yeah. stalls a lot of people because, you know, that the the image, and I'm sure we've all seen this, of the iceberg and how the life of an entrepreneur, you know, you can see this up top, what's above the water or what's above the ice. And then underneath is like chaos and crazy. That's, you know, I think that you can have all of those and you will have all of those emotions as you're downloading something as big as this. But yeah, the fact finding can hold us in potentially put us in a place of inaction because we're critically and overthinking almost everything. Now, I talk about that being a powerful gift as well, but when we're talking about intellectual property, 
I think the first thing is to identify that you have it. And I believe every single one of us has it in some capacity, whether that, you know, the example that I'm giving you guys today is in strategic mapping, which is a wildly awesome and robust process. But my life is made up of processes. I mean, I'm teaching my kids how to fold clothes the way I like them to be folded. That is another, you know, that's just a silly personal example of a process. But if you tend to be process oriented and you like structure, which I think 100% of the people who are listening to this podcast do desire that, your life has so many processes embedded into it. So think about the things that you are performing inside of businesses or that you want to scale from your business and teach other people. Yeah, I think there's, when you think of a, I mean, you think of intellectual property and finding it for yourself or even finding it for someone that you are working with, it can be hard to, to approach it from the thought of, what is the intellectual property? It's such a big question, right? If you're, if you're coming into a business and saying to yourself, okay, let me help this business find their intellectual property. It's a big question. So what I like to do is I like to break it apart into kind of these two pillars. I like to look at it as, okay, the first thing is what is the service quality, right? So service quality requires processes and service quality and the processes that back that up is intellectual property. The second piece is service culture. And I think people don't really think about service culture as intellectual property. What is service culture? It's the client experiences, right? That influence and shape the working relationships between you and the client, right? And it supports the client to view you as what I call a partner versus a vendor. Mm -hmm. In my world, when we're building agency-like businesses, the agencies that survive are the ones that come in and are more of a partner versus a vendor. What's the difference people are going to ask? So a vendor is basically you come in, you work with someone, someone gives you instructions and you follow instructions, right? That's a vendor, right? You're coming in with no high value thinking that's attached to it, more of an order taker. The other is a partner, right? And a partner is someone who comes in and you talk about this now, and there's an episode and maybe you can link it in the show notes where you talk about strategic thinking as this missing piece in a lot of businesses that um, are doing operations for people, right? And so- That's what really partnership is about, right? It's that strategic thinking piece that you come in with. And that's how you build a relationship with the actual business owner, right? And and that's part of your service culture. And that's intellectual property too, right? So we want to think about intellectual property, not just as like the strategy and the production and the implementation. It's about the working relationship that you establish with the client. And how do those processes work in capturing those? Right. So there are standard things that we all do, right? So when we sign a client, and who I'm talking to right now, question mark. <laughs> that is the person who is a service provider who intends to build a business leveraging your gift of operations. So that means that you are actively trying to pursue new clients. You are onboarding clients and onboarding, I think is a service culture that you just spoke about, right? It's that client experience. What do you do from start to the first call that you have? There's maybe a couple of weeks that happen in between there. And what do you do? That can be just one example of your intellectual property because the way that Audrey does it versus the way that Natalie does it or Sally and Jane, of course, there's going to be some, oh, this is, I'm getting to something that comes up a lot. I just had a aha moment, but we're all going to do it a little bit differently, but yes, there's going to be overlap. That moment that I just had was people are going to, 
they ask me a lot, like, is this really my intellectual property? Because everybody onboards and I have to stop them and say, you know, none of us onboard the exact same, right? So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, 100%. And that's the objection, right? People say to themselves, well, this other business owner does this exact same thing as me. So if we do the exact same thing, how's what I do intellectual property? Well, I think on the outside, things can look similar, but on the inside, there are different steps that you're taking. There are different thoughts that you're having. There are different purposes that you have when you're onboarding someone. All those things add up to intellectual property. And you got to consider those things when you're thinking about putting your process together. To be frank, like, Every business onboards, right? Does that mean that every business is onboarding the same way? No. And I think it's important to remember that how you do things is different and that equals intellectual property. Something came up for me as you were also talking about onboarding. I want to bring up this idea of like how intellectual property is oftentimes hidden. Okay. So let's look at running client meetings. Okay. So if we look at running a client meeting as a process, oftentimes we think of, okay, the process is running a client meeting. However, if you think of the purpose behind client meetings, there are different purposes behind client meetings in a business, right? So let's say, for example, in an agency model, one of the key KPIs, key performance indicators for success in the agency is retainment, right? So if you looked at client meetings and understood that a KPI for client meetings is actually connected to retainment, the processes that we create for that client meeting is then meant for retainment, right? And that's intellectual property. So how we think about intellectual property is oftentimes hidden. It's important to really clearly identify what it is we're trying to do with our processes so that we pull the intellectual property to support it. Yeah, because the KPI is going to be the marker of success or the lack of success. So if we don't have processes to support the success, then we're not going to meet the objective. And then, you know, obviously there's a cascade of events that can take place after that. So I, I love pointing out obvious and hidden. You know, it's like when I think of processes, the silly example I gave of like the way that I fold towels, right? The way that I fold towels or clothes is my way. You still fold your clothes, but we don't necessarily do it the same way. And that's the obvious. The hidden Mm -hmm. is, you know, far deeper than that. And I know that this audience here and the listeners here are so good at looking behind the scenes, but we may not recognize the power because we may spend too much time in the front just looking at the obvious. So good call out there of obvious and hidden or front and back, if you will. So a lot of the gals in our community are independent contractors. So they'll come in fractionally into businesses, whether they're agencies or whatnot, right? So they're going to come into businesses and in their contracts, we've had the question come up about how do I protect my intellectual property inside of my contracts? How do you advise on that? That's such a good question. I think if you're coming in as a independent contractor, you are often going to see that anything you create for an organization belongs to that organization, right? So Let's say, for example, you're using Asana and you are building out the workflows for the client, right? Those workflows belong to the client, right? They don't belong to you necessarily. However, the process that you use to create those workflows, those belong to you. So if you think about what it takes to create a workflow, so my process in creating workflows is actually five parts. So I look at the purpose of the workflow. I identify the milestones. I look at the tasks. Then I figure out the resources. And then I look at the quality assurances required, right, to build out a workflow. Well, that's my five-part process to creating out workflows. That belongs to me. 
right? That's my intellectual property. Now I'm using my intellectual property to help a client build that out, to help an agency owner build that out. What I built for them is theirs, but the process that I used to build it is mine. Ooh, good, good, good. So the external or the deliverable is theirs. And we've had that exact scenario, Audrey, where it's like, I created this massive project plan and I put it inside of Asana. Now, when I leave the client or when our term is over, what happens? And I'm like, well, that's what they paid for. It stays there. You don't get to take it. But you know, you want to protect yourself as far as can they sell that? If you create a project plan, I don't want them to take that as a template and sell it to their clients or anything like that. That's that's a whole different thing. But your point is they own the deliverable that you provided. However, your brain, the human mind that created that of course, it's yours. And there's a ton of power. There's actually more power in the brain work that went into it than in the output. Because you can replicate the brain work over and over again. Yes. And that's what intellectual property is about. That's why intellectual oh, property is so important, right? Because if you think of processes, processes are not static, they're not static. If you build a process out and let's say you bring a team in and they're using your processes, that team is going to help you revise, optimize, streamline your processes. And those updates is going to only make what you do better. That's how we innovate, right? That's what we call true intellectual property that makes you money because you create a piece of intellectual property. You have a team support you to run that. There's going to be edits and changes, changes to that. You add in those edits and changes over time, you've got something that the rest of the marketplace can't catch up to because you've been innovating on that very process for a very long time. I feel like we are the two dorkiest humans right now. And anyone who is like looking and listening at us is like, wow, these chicks are really excited about a topic. <laughs> yes, this is my topic. <laughs> yes, and we are loving it, man. I'm like, I could talk to this lady all day long. This is fantastic. And I hope those of you guys that are listening along are inspired as much as I was to have this conversation because... You know, I want you to walk away understanding that your mind is unique. And in a world where we give so much attention and novelty and prize and fame to people who have, who are more of those visionaries who ideate a lot, who have a lot of ideas, sometimes we feel inferior to that. But I want this, and I believe this, and I, I believe that this conversation with Audrey is going to be a great reminder. I want it. My intention is for this to be a great reminder to you that yes, you have a different mind and it is incredibly powerful and it has the ability in this way to provide you a scalable career. And let's talk about the agency model for a little bit because all of this goes just perfectly. That was not our intention in connecting today. Yeah. But since we talked about agencies a little bit, Audrey, I teach that there are four different ways that a service provider can generate income for themselves. And one of them is the retainer model, the safest. Then we talk about projects or consultancy, more of a short-term container. And we talk about agencies. And then the last one is the productized service, which is what I have today. And I have performed all four of those in my eight years of owning my own business. And so it's not unheard of to shift between these and Honestly, a lot of our students, I would say over half of our students have at least two of those going on at one time. One of them is primary, keeping them safe and stable and secure. And the other one's like an experiment and something that they're trying to explore, kind of like a side hustle. And so anyway, this intellectual property is going to help you if you want one-to-one -one clients 
just thinking back to the onboarding piece, even if you have no team around you, you personally are going to onboard lots of clients over your time. Getting that process documented and perfected is only going to help you to do that. Now, when you start expanding your team, which I trust that a lot of us are going to do over time, whether that is bringing on an assistant, whether that's bringing on you know a project manager, you name it, what, however you want to expand your team, there are going to be processes and pieces of this puzzle that are going to be very freeing when you hand them over. So the agency model here, and there's a lot of different ways to build an agency and we don't have to explore all of that today. But when you have this intellectual property together and you hand it over to this person, I can see your premise of scaling so much faster by utilizing this team and still staying very, very lean. I'm actually a huge fan of what we call productized service agency. So combining two of the models that you mentioned about, a productized service agency is really an agency that focuses on providing one really core service to one really core niche. So let's take, for example, a copywriter, right? So a copywriter providing email marketing, writing services to food bloggers. That's what we call an extremely productized niche, right? Very clearly, the service is email writing and very clearly the niche is food bloggers, right? When we have that tight of a productized service, the actual intellectual property that you create is tight, right? So it's very focused and it's also refined over time, like we talked about, right? There's that compounding interest that I say happens to intellectual property. And all that intellectual property makes it easier for you to build a team behind it, right? One of the things that I think we've seen when we use the word agency is this belief that agencies have to be full service. So full service is someone who offers all the marketings, like all the marketing offers under one business, right? And I think that that's really an older model of looking at how to run an agency. An agency these days can be very productized. And a productized service agency is actually very dependent on having tight intellectual property and tight processes, which is what we're talking about today. Yeah, thank you for pointing that out. That's cool to combine the two. And that example allowed me to see that very clearly because in our world, directors of operations, as they create agencies, there's a lot of opportunity out there, but sometimes they talk about bringing other directors of operations in their business to almost act as like account leaders or account managers, account executives. And then that original DOO really is the CEO of the company. Then we see where DOOs will bring in project managers and maybe they're doing more of like a launch management business and those project managers, you know, that's what they are doing. And then we see like one particular service where it's like, I am going to own a hiring agency. Is that kind of a productized agency? Yeah. Okay. yeah if you think, let's look at the example of a uh, DOO. Let's just say they are DOOs for orthodontist. That's a very clear productized service, right? So the DO in itself is the service and the industry niche is orthodontist. Right. Now, if you create out a whole bunch of intellectual property or processes to support orthodontists to run their business, really those things you create are repeatable through every single ortho business, right? Mm -hmm. And so what you have there is a highly scalable business that is going to require less of you innovating within the business. And when I say innovating, I don't mean, you know, not giving the clients the best results. What I do mean, though, is that there's less creating things for no reason. So we see that with a lot of business owners when they work with a whole bunch of different types of services that you got to create new process for this business and then new process for that business. But if you actually focus on a very clear niche, what you create is way more sustainable. There's just less 
crazy sauce. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a good word to use, crazy sauce, right? Hashtag limit the crazy sauce. <laughs> limit the crazy sauce, yeah. Yeah, limit the crazy sauce. I also want to go back to this idea of like building a team for an agency. I think that when we look at team building for an agency model, there are like three roles that have to be covered. And you were talking about those roles. The first role is the implementation piece. Right. And the second role is an account management. And the third role is that strategy piece. Those are the three chunks that any business owner has to get off their plate. I call those three pieces service delivery. I know all of them aren't technically service delivery, but I call that service delivery. And so if you can build out your intellectual property for those three areas of your business, then you can easily hire in a team to support you in that, which then frees you up to be whatever you want to be in the business. You know, if you want to still hang on a strategy, great, hang on a strategy. If you want to become that visionary in business, this allows you to do that. Oh, you are on it today because we talk about, and I think that podcast that you're probably referring to was one where we talk about the four different layers of resources or talent in a business, the bottom implementation, then management, then strategy. Three of the four layers are taken care of. It leaves you to go to the highest one, which is visionary. And I myself am a good example of I own Visionary. I've been able to delegate and partner with people on my team to take over these other layers. But trust me, I still dabble in the strategy area because I love it. And my belief is that you can hold on to two of those, but it's impossible to hold on to four of those. So as we're building our business, we learn that the hard way through burnout, through stress, through overwhelm, mm-hmm. through frustration. And when someone tells me that, that, that they're overwhelmed, I'm like, oh, of course, I don't show them the pyramid because they don't want to see it at that moment. We talk using words and I'm like, oh, it's because they're in all four of these areas. But topic for another time. Um, thank you so much for sharing. Audrey, you are just fascinating. I am so glad that this connection worked out and that you're sharing this because this is such a strong and powerful reminder that we are not just doers. Your doing brain has so much power on the back end. And I hope that this has helped you to change your mind about how the processes that you are executing on, that you are building, that you are dreaming up, that you are initiating and installing in other people's businesses have such high value. Audrey called them a high value asset. That's exactly what they are. And that's what makes you, I'm kind of getting into a little rant (laughs) right now, but I'm feeling it like, oh yes, like I just want, I want to be at the pulpit right now, but that's why you have a high valuable service inside of you, right? It's the processes and the intellectual property that you may not be seeing as such a powerful asset. You have that inside of you. That's why you're not appropriate to be an hourly employee. You cannot put an hourly price tag on the brain power that goes in to the intellectual property that creates the processes. So, oh girl, I am like, amen. (laughs) Yes, for sure. But, you know, I feel like a lot of people who come here, Audrey, they are so ready to up-level to their next best self. And we spend a lot of time talking about it. And that transformation, sometimes it feels like it's out of reach. And a conversation like this, I know I feel like, man, I... I know I'm made up of processes. I know that I've put a lot of effort into creating rigor and structure. And just this conversation is showing me the gold that exists inside of that. And there's ample opportunities for us to create this. And if there are ample opportunities, what does that mean from 
the amount of gold on the other side, if you want to go with that analogy, that just shows you how valuable you are, how you don't have to charge hourly, how you don't have to be an implementer, how you can navigate those layers that we both talked about today. If you're currently doing implementation, you already have that strategic mind behind the process. If you're implementing the process, right? If you're not the vendor, you're not just showing up and doing tasks. There's a great big mind behind a unique and powerful mind behind that process. And it's time for you to see that, to articulate that, to communicate that, charge appropriately, change your business model, whatever change that can be initiated from that. I hope that this episode helps you to see how valuable you are and how great your great mind is. I love that you pointed out operators have a reputation of being the second in command typically. but just because the world tells you that you're second in command doesn't mean that you are any less valuable than the leader of the business. Because if you think about it, it takes the operator and the visionary to run a business. You fit together. And so Natalie, I love how you just really pointed out to everyone, don't underestimate what you have. Because what you have is what all business owners need. And the type of value that you provide isn't an hourly value because without you, oftentimes there is no business running. That's right. The delivery goes to nothing, the Mm -hmm. foundation and the structure and all of those things that happen behind the scenes just don't happen. That's why businesses crumble so quickly. I, I know that the reason that half of businesses that get started that fail in the first five years is because they're not giving enough attention to operations. They're giving way too much attention to marketing. Now they're both necessary. They're both needed. I'm never going to knock that. But I think our big thinking visionaries want to put a lot of attention, money, resources towards the front end because it's sexy, because they're closest to it, because it's fulfilling from a brand perspective. But the delivery is everything. Without good delivery, without good structure and processes, there's nothing that's repeatable. There is typically a reputational disaster on the back end. Marketing and sales tends to be what we think of the most when we're building a business. So any entrepreneur who started out providing a service and building that business, they had to really go hard on marketing and sales. And there's always going to be this like switch that you have to pull, right? And that switch equals stop looking so much at the outside. And like you just said, Nali, it's not about stopping marketing and sales, but it's about changing what you're looking at from the viewpoint of how to scale the business. And you can do all the marketing and sales in the world, but there's no one inside to fetch the work that you're getting. What's going to happen? You're going to break, period, right? And so there was a point in a business where, and usually it's when a business hits about a quarter of a mil, where you you have to look at the insides, right? Without looking at it, you're just not going to be able to grow. So for me, I've always known the value of an operator in a business. And I think conversations like this is what helps to shift people's perspective and thinking about that value of an operator. Can we be best friends? We can totally be best friends. Today. We are signing the dotted line. So I will say that when I was getting going in serving clients, one of the things that disgusted me the most that really put a fire in my belly to really just own this space was seeing a lot of these women and businesses that I was supporting, putting so much attention on the marketing side and really just hoping and praying it would work out on the backside. And I'm like, oh, I don't do that. That cannot happen. And then when we started putting structure on the back end, they were, you know, sometimes they were uncomfortable and frustrated because it takes resources to do that, but it's scalable once you do it. 
but you have to kind of break that pattern. And I find that being a struggle when you said 250, I was like, yes, best friend boy. <laughs> but when businesses are before that point, if you're in businesses right now that are under, you know, 250K a year in top line revenue, and you see them putting a lot of effort inside of the front side, the lead acquisition, the customer, client, patient, whatever it may look like for them, marketing, putting all emphasis on marketing and sales, you're going to have to disrupt the cycle. You're going to have to be a bold leader who comes in and says, if you do that, you're not going to be able to fulfill on this. And if you don't fulfill on this, this cycle is not a 360 degree cycle. It stops at 180, which means you don't get paid. You have reputational damage and your team falls apart. And of course, the financial burden is is unfortunately a, a big one that gets their attention. But the 250 mark is very, very, you're so right. People put a lot of time, attention, focus on the marketing and it can never be one-sided. I used to tell businesses, if you're not going to focus on the backside of business, then you yourself are gonna have to be the one asset in your business who is covering the backside and that's not your gift. You know, it's not your gift. So, oh man, so good. The courage of the operator in a business, especially in your program, the deals that you're training up, I can see that there's a learned courage that has to take place Mm -hmm. because oftentimes an operator is the person who has to speak up about something that could break, right? If you don't pay attention to it, because the visionary is not going to see that thing that's going to break. That's not how they're built, right? But you're the operator and you've got to have this courage to step up and say, okay, visionary, I'm looking at your business right now and wonderful, love all the marketing, love all the sales here, but there's this reality and what's happening on the backside. Let me share with you what that reality is because if I don't tell you what is happening in about six months time, you're not going to have a business to return to. And I think that's the courage that a lot of deals have to work up to. But that's also really what they're paying you for. It's that mm-hmm. strategic piece that you talk about a lot, right? The ability to look at what's happening on the outside of the business. In this case, all the marketing and sales that the entrepreneur is doing. Then looking at the inside of business and thinking, what's working right now? What's going to stop working? And then be able to create those recommendations, right? And be able to say to the owner, okay, here's my evaluation. Here's why. Right? Yeah. And the courage to say that. The courage to say that. The courage to own that and say that to the business owner. That's a key role in the DOO. Yeah. Even in discovery calls, I like to have a moment. I call them like a strategic moment or a strategist moment where it's like, okay, this is what I think. And I love to see how they respond because this is our passion. This is what we're good at. And it still takes a lot of fortitude to speak up and to have that brave, courageous moment to say, this isn't going to work. I mean, as easy that as that rolls off my tongue, trust me, there's a lot of thought and overthinking that goes into that delivery. And, you know, they're not ready for it. And I just... Oh, goodness gracious. That truly is the difference between a leader and what we call a yes ma'am versus a yes maybe, right? Someone who is able to take their knowledge, their skills, and their strategic mind and bring it to them with compassion, with candor, with you know a lot of care, because it's not like you're just throwing it on a platter and no. giving them the peace sign and walking away. You're really talking them through the what ifs. And they're not good about thinking about the what ifs. They're not good about spotting the gaps, seeing the issues, what are the risks. They need you. This is why if you look at any large business, there is no large business that exists. Let me flip that around. The strongest businesses have the greatest COOs out there chief operating officers. Mm -hmm. Hands down. Do you see multi-million dollar fortune 500 businesses not having 
chief operating officers. Right. Like, no, right. it doesn't exist. And I think for the deals in your program, like you hit the nail on the head. There's this communication piece that people have to master, yeah. right? So it's not just about being point blank and going to a business owner and saying, hey, if you don't do this, this is going to happen. <laughs> That's not, you know, what we're talking about. What we're talking about is like, there's a relationship that you build over time with the business owner. Absolutely. And that relationship is built through how you communicate with them. And I oftentimes find that with visionaries, their priorities look a lot different than what a operator's priority looks like. And so the communication that you have to master is learning how to meet them in the middle and supporting them to see how what they want can't happen unless they take a look at what you're doing. Yes. This is why emotional intelligence and emotional awareness are so important in that leadership role, right? It takes mindset. It takes emotional awareness because I can spot a gap, but the difference in somebody who has longevity, a DOO who has longevity inside of a business is someone who can build a relationship, communicate effectively and meet the leader where they are. You know, I can have the same message. And if I'm delivering it to you or six other people, there's going to be six different conversations that have to happen. And I, as the DOO, have to be emotionally aware enough to know how this is going to be delivered to Audrey versus Bob versus Jane. And, you know, that's just a a very, very strong, I mean, if you've got that, you're going to be around a long time. And we've actually talked internally about how to identify that, how to build that. I'm telling you, we are really big dorks right now. We are loving Mm -hmm. this. (laughs) I like dancing to that right now. Yes. Yes. It's so good. Yeah. I, I, like communication is a huge part of supporting any business owner to succeed as a DOO. And just looping this back to intellectual property, there's intellectual property in that too. Right? Yes. There's like how you communicate with someone to help them see what they need to see so that they can grow their business is intellectual property. And there's a process that you can capture for that and train other people to do too. So good. We have just completely re-recorded our entire 125 plus video trainings for our certification. And one of the things that we added in there is really showcasing how to have some of these conversations because I believe everybody has it, but I think when you can model it and can see it, that's one thing. But for me, in thinking about how I do this, the intellectual property that I have, you know, it's easy to say, well, I don't know, every just do it however feels good to you. That's not enough for my students. I want them to be empowered to have these conversations, to create change, to be the difference maker that they aspire to be. And so in that conversation right there, Audrey, I've been thinking and we've been downloading, well, how do I do that? How do my peers do that? What It has to be more than just giving a role play, which I think is step one. I think it's so helpful to see and just to hear the words that other people used. But the greatest power comes from me teaching them, think about this, think about this, think about this. Put that in your words because now they're yours and it's going to roll off your tongue so much easier. Those conversations are going to come better, come faster to you. But communication in itself has its intellectual property. And we've been working on that internally. And our students will be the beneficiaries of that in the resources that we provide them. But Oh man, I mean, I am so grateful to have this conversation and I am convinced that we could have a four-hour podcast today with no problem. <laughs> yeah, me too. I think we keep going. We could. Yes, yes. Well, as we wrap up, 
Thank you for being here, first of all. And I'm so excited to follow your journey and just to be peers and partners with you as we embrace this world of service providers and know that you know, we've got a productized service that we're able to help lots of people. And we've only been able, both of us have only been able to do this because we've taken the time to document, to value, to see what we have. And I can tell you when I arrived here, I didn't see this for myself. It took somebody else stopping me in my tracks. But if anyone has ever complimented you, if anyone has ever admired, if anyone has ever told you that you're invaluable, think about the scenario, the situation, what it is that you were working on when you did that, that's a really good start of the answer to the question, is what I do even valuable? And where is their intellectual property? That's where I started and it really changed my life. I know that's a really big statement, but going down the path of dissecting how to perform the strategic mapping model did completely change my life. It's changed our family's life. And it's, I mean, I'm a big believer in IP and I also know people just don't see it for themselves. So I hope that this episode has made you stop and realize how much you have and just how powerful it can be. Audrey, thank you so much for being here. Any last words as we wrap up? I just want to say that I have a productized service and much like you, Natalie, it didn't get created overnight. It took me longer than you. It took me 18 months to really figure it out and nail it down and then refine it over the years. So I second everything that you just said here, that this isn't an overnight process, that it takes time. So if you are listening along with us today and you are as intrigued and you want to be best friends with Audrey too, you can join the circle. Audrey, tell them where they can find you and where they can follow you at. Yeah, head on over to my website. It's audreyjoyquan.com. Hit up the free resources I have there. And if you're looking for another podcast to listen to, join me over at the Small But Mighty Agency Podcast. I love it. Thank you so much for being here. This conversation was rich and valuable and thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for investing just a little bit of time to listen to this episode of the Ops Authority Podcast. I am so grateful to be surrounded by real action takers like you who are invested in growing their business through operations. Will you add one more action to your to-do list today? Visit theopsauthoritypodcast.com where you can join our community of business owners and other ops experts. You're going to hear from me in a week, but in the meantime, do big things on the backside of your business.